Let's open our Bibles now to the Word of God in Luke chapter 11. Gospel of Luke chapter 11. We'll read the first 13 verses, 1 through 13. Luke 11, beginning at verse 1. And it came to pass that as he, that is Jesus, was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, Yet, because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. Read the word of God to that point, and it's on the basis of that passage of scripture, many other passages as well, that we are instructed in Lord's Day 52 of the Heidelberg Catechism concerning prayer again in this conclusion to the Catechism we are brought to a consideration of the conclusion to prayer. And that's in questions and answers 128 and 129. How dost thou conclude thy prayer? Answer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is, all these we ask of thee, because thou, being our King and Almighty, art willing and able to give us all good. 
And all this we pray for, that thereby not we, but thy holy name may be glorified forever. What doth the word Amen signify? Amen signifies, it shall truly and certainly be. For my prayer is more assuredly heard of God than I feel in my heart that I desire these things of him. Jesus Christ was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. That was their request. The disciples observed Christ praying. And they observed that more than just this one time. They observed it often concerning him. That being in itself a remarkable thing, that he who was the Son of God, he who was God himself, still prayed. And prayed often to God. And sometimes, as we know from the Gospel accounts, would spend the whole night in prayer. The disciples observed that, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And no doubt, beloved, that is a request that you have brought to God in prayer too. A petition in your prayers to God because you feel the need to be taught to pray. We feel that need to be taught to pray because, first of all, our prayers can always improve. We do not pray perfect prayers. Many weaknesses characterize our prayers to God. We pray for the wrong thing. We don't pray often enough. We're not sincere in our prayers to God. And the list could go on and on. Weaknesses that characterize our prayers to God. But we also come with this request to God to teach us to pray because prayer is such an important part of our lives as the people of God. Prayer is, as the Catechism teaches us about it, the chief part of thankfulness to God. And prayer is something that you know as a believer you cannot survive without. Prayer, we could say, as has been said, is our spiritual lifeline to God. Our spiritual lifeline. And so we come also with that same request, Lord, teach us to pray. And our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us. And he gives to us a model prayer, which we refer to as the Lord's Prayer, 
And he uses that to teach the disciples and to teach us many things concerning prayer. And we have learned some of those things in the Heidelberg Catechism in our consideration of Lord's Days 45 and following. One of the things that we have learned is this, that there is a reason why we must pray. Because prayer is the chief part of thankfulness that we express to God. We've also learned through these lessons in prayer how to begin our prayers to God with the words that Christ teaches us, namely to say, Our Father who art in heaven. And we have also learned concerning prayer what we ought to pray for, what to include in our petitions to God in prayer. We could say there's one more lesson yet concerning prayer. One final lesson from Christ, and that is how to conclude our prayers to God. And that's what we consider together now from Lord's Day 52, concluding prayers properly. Three things we note concerning that, admitting our need, that is, admitting our need of God, expressing our praise, our praise to God, and confessing our confidence, our confidence in God. Concluding prayers properly. Why do you pray? And why do you pray to God? Why do you ask God in prayer to supply your earthly needs, your food, your clothing, your shelter, your health, and your strength? Why do you pray to God in your times of sorrow and grief and suffering in life? When you experience sickness, when you are in pain, when your circumstances lend themselves to the experience of loneliness in life? Why do you pray to God when you are struggling when you are depressed, even? Why do you pray to God when you face the reality of death? And why do you speak to God in prayer when you are struggling, struggling with sin and struggling with temptations in your life and struggling with guilt and struggling with a battle of faith against the spiritual enemies that we face in this life, the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. Why not seek and get human help with all these things? Or why not, as the Roman Catholics would say, Pray to the saints to get help with all these things. Or why not simply help yourself 
with all these things? Why do we pray to God? And the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer that our Lord Jesus Christ taught us answers those questions. And the believer understanding that says, this is why I pray to God. I pray to God, I open up my heart to God, I bring all of my needs and requests to God because God, my Father, belonging to Him, is the kingdom and the power. That's why I pray to God. For thine is the kingdom and the power. Thine is the kingdom, we say. And that means we confess that God is king. It is a confession that he is Lord over all. It is a confession that God is sovereign. It is a confession that he has absolute control over all things. He created the universe, he owns the universe, and he rules the universe, the world, and everything that there is. He is king over it all. There are countless creatures in this universe. There are animals, there are plants, there is the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets. There are angels. There is the devil, and there are men, humans. And none of them exists apart from God, none of them moves apart from God, and none of them does anything at all apart from God. That includes the snow, the wind, and the cold that we experience recently. God is king over all of that too. Every flake, every gust of wind, and every degree on the temperature scale, God is king. But it's not simply, beloved, as the Catechism points out, it's not simply that God is king, but that God is our king. Our king. And that's a reality for us because of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. That brings us back, you could say, to the gospel of Lord's Day 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism, that Jesus Christ, to whom we belong, is our faithful Savior, and he to whom we belong has brought us into God's family so that God is our king and we are his subjects. And he, who now sits at the right hand of God, is the one who rules as king in the name of God, exalted to be king over all as our Savior. And so he is doing everything in the name of God. Jesus Christ is 
the king, God's king, God's appointed king. And he is doing everything for the benefit of those who belong to him. He is our king. Doing everything for your benefit. He owns and he rules and controls every creature in this whole universe with his eye on those who belong to him. There are creatures in the heavens and creatures in the sea. There are creatures in the forests and creatures in the field. And then there are men, mankind in this world, men in every nation of the world, and men in all of the families of the world, and men in the church. Many of them do good to you and to me. And we recognize that. We have family members and we have friends and we have fellow believers who do good to us. They love us as their fellow saints, as their family members, as their friends. They encourage and they help us. Why? Because Jesus Christ is king who rules them all and directs them to do those things for us. There are other men and women and children in this world who do evil to us. Other creatures who do evil to us, Satan included, and the ungodly, and sometimes even Christians who sin against us. But every one of those creatures, too, is ruled by God, our King, through Jesus Christ. And he rules them for our good because he is our king. The second thing that we confess concerning God is this, thine is the power As the Catechism puts it, that means God is our Almighty. Think a moment of that word, Almighty. We perhaps use it so much we don't stop to think of what that really means, that God is Almighty. But what that means is this, that all power is His power. And the Lord's Prayer itself emphasizes that when the Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray this in prayer, he taught us to pray, for thine is the power. God is not simply a powerful God out there. God is not simply a God who is a power, one of the powers that exist, one power amongst many other powers. Nor is it simply the case that God is a power that is stronger than other powers, that he is more mighty than the powers of nature, that he is more mighty than the power of the devil, 
that he is more mighty than the power of wicked men. Not that either. When we confess that God is almighty, then we are confessing that every other creature simply has no power of itself. Every other creature is weak. Every other creature is simply a creature made by God. Every other creature is temporary. And every other creature can do absolutely nothing by itself. God is the only one who has any power. And any power that any creature has comes from God. And again, we note, as the Catechism points out, he is our Almighty. He uses his power for the benefit of his people. He doesn't use the power that he has for the benefit of the ungodly. He uses his power against them, but not for their good. Concerning them, he uses his power to punish them. He uses his power to destroy them. He uses his power to cause them to experience his anger against them for their sin. And so they sense that already in this life, and they will sense that and experience that to all eternity. And they will feel the power of God on them. Those who are God's enemies and our enemy, they will. But he is our almighty. He uses his power for the good of those who belong to Christ. He uses his power to control and to, to limit and to subdue his enemies and our enemies. And the enemies of God, the wicked, the ungodly, the power of the devil that has been given to him by God himself means that all that they are is tools in the hand of God. And they are tools in God's hand to accomplish one thing. The salvation of the people of God. And when God has finished using them, using them as he uses them in his wisdom and in his power for the benefit of the salvation of the church, then God will be done with them. He will take away the power that he gave them and he will throw them all away. He doesn't need them anymore. But now he uses them. And as the almighty God, his almighty power is present and at work in the universe and in his use of all the creatures that he has made, wicked, ungodly men, the devil as well, to provide eternal blessings for the elect. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? He will save his church by his almighty power.
And that, beloved, explains why we pray to God. We pray to him because we are dependent on him who is our king and our almighty. Dependent. That's what we are. Now, sometimes, sinfully, we think we do not need God, and we are not dependent on him. Usually that happens when things are going well in our lives. We're healthy. We're having times of success. No troubles or very few troubles in life. And then we are inclined to say, I am strong. I'm doing well. I'm able to take care of myself and I'm able to provide for my family. And even this, we are sometimes daring enough to say, I'm able to take care of myself spiritually because I'm spiritually strong. I can resist evil. I can fight temptations. I can overcome sins. I can get rid of the doubts that I sometimes have. When we are thinking that way, then it becomes evident in the fact that we do not pray to God. Or if we do pray, we don't pray very much. Or if we do pray, we don't pray sincerely to God. And so God must bring us low. God does that, brings us low to show us how weak and helpless we are in ourselves. He sends sometimes great burdens and troubles and much suffering. Sending that in your own personal life, in your family, and even in the church. And then he asks, when you're in the midst of the depths of that suffering, he asks you to face this question, what can you do about it? How can you overcome this? Are you really able to deal with all these things in your life without me, God? By his grace and through his spirit, he humbles us to say, how foolish I was to think that I was strong. How foolish I was to think that I could survive without God in life. Who else can supply my needs? Who else can remove my burdens? Who else can comfort my soul? Who else can give me the grace I need? Who else can supply me with wisdom? Who else can protect me from falling? And who else can save me? And who else can forgive my sins? And who else can cause me to live by faith and not sight? That's why we pray to God. 
God who is our king, God who is our almighty, and God who is our almighty father for the sake of Christ. We are fully dependent on him. But in the second place, beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ told us to conclude our prayers with these words too. For thine is the glory forever. And those words, you could say, express our motive for praying to God and our motive for what we include and what we say in our prayers to God. When we pray to God, we ask God for many things. And the question is, why? Why? Why do we ask God for the things that we ask for? What is our motive in requesting food and health? What is our motive in requesting the forgiveness of our sins? What is our motive in asking God to give us peace? What, if it, what is our motive in anything that we ask for? Is it sometimes because we are selfish and we're thinking only about our own comforts, our own happiness? our own peace of mind. I'm sure that sometimes that is true for every one of us. But the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us that's not how it should be for us. When he taught us to pray, he taught us, this is what your motive must be. Thine is the glory as the Catechism explains that phrase, it says this. This is what that means. All these things, or all this we pray for, that thereby not we, but thy holy name may be glorified forever. The underlying motive for everything that the child of God asks for in prayer should be that God be honored and praised. True prayer is not me-focused. True prayer is not man-centered. But true prayer is God-centered. Let God be praised. And that's how it should be with every petition that we bring to God in prayer. Let's consider that a moment with the petitions that our Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, six of them. And the very first petition was this, Hallowed be thy name. And Christ is teaching us by that petition and now by this conclusion in the Lord's Prayer that that's where we start in prayer and that's also where we should end in prayer, focused on the name and the glory 
of the name of God. Desiring that God himself be glorified in all his works. Desiring that God be honored and praised by us in our lives as his people in this world. Hallowed be thy name is all about the glory of God. And then we pray in the second petition, thy kingdom come. That's a petition in which we desire the success and the advance of the kingdom of God. The success and the advance of the kingdom of God in the world through the spread of the gospel and the salvation of the church in the world, the spread and the advance of the kingdom of God in ourselves personally, through the rule of Christ by his spirit and word in our hearts and lives, and then the advance of the kingdom of God in its final manifestation, the kingdom that is to come, the kingdom in which it, we will dwell forever and forever. That's what we pray for. And the question is, why? Why do we pray for those things? We pray for those things because we desire that God be glorified, and that God be glorified especially through the central work of God that he is doing in all of history with a view to his kingdom, the salvation of his elect. That glorifies God. That's why we pray, thy kingdom come. And we pray in the third place, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We desire all things to happen in this world and all things to happen in our own lives, not as we prefer, not as we want them to happen, but as God has willed, as God has planned from eternity. Why? So God is glorified. Because we know at the very heart and center of the will of God is God's purpose to glorify himself through everything. And if God's will, therefore, means trouble and suffering for us, we submit to the will of God because it is God's will alone that will glorify God. Not our wills, but his will. And then we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Why do we pray for that? Not so that we have an abundance of earthly goods, not so that if God answers this prayer, we will have an easy life upon this earth. Not so that if God gives us our daily bread and then is pleased to give us more besides, then we can live a comfortable life on this earth and we can have all these riches to, en to enjoy for ourselves but we pray that God would give us our daily bread so that we may use whatever he gives us to serve him, so that we may seek first the kingdom of God, so that whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, we do all to the glory 
of God. And we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Why do we pray for that? Well, not simply so that we can be free from guilt and have peace in our hearts, although that is certainly very important to us and very necessary for us. But the ultimate reason why we ask for forgiveness is so that we as forgiven sinners will praise and honor and glorify God now already and to all eternity for the marvelous grace he has shown us by forgiving our sin. Unmerited grace, unmerited favor, undeserved that God has forgiven. Let God be praised. And we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why do we pray for that? Not simply so that we never fall into sin and thereby are kept from the grievous, sorrowful consequences of falling into sin. Although that is certainly part of our desire and a proper desire. But the ultimate reason, beloved, why we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is because we have an eye to the glory of God. And we understand that when we who bear the name of Christ and who represent God and Christ in this world commit sin, we bring shame on God and on Christ. When we sin, Christ is dishonored by us. Our desire is that God may be glorified by our lives that men may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven for his mighty work in leading us to do the good works that he has ordained for us to do. God's glory must be our focus. And that ought to be true of all of our prayers. Prayer is not given to us so that we can talk about ourselves to God all the time. Prayer is not given to us so that we can fill our prayers with thoughts of me and my and us and we. Prayer is not given to us so that we can seek from God our happiness and our comforts and our joy and our peace in this life. The Lord's Prayer reminds us not to think too much about ourselves when we pray and to think more about God. 
Yes, we do have to come to him with all of our needs. We are dependent on him. We bring all of our petitions to him. We cry out to him to provide everything for us. And we speak very personally with him about our own life, our own circumstances, our own situation in life, our own personal needs in life. But the focus is God and the glory of God. God-centered prayers arising from a God-centered life of a believer who is saved by grace. And finally, our Lord Jesus Christ taught us to include one more word in the conclusion of prayer, and that is the word Amen. Now, children, amen does not mean we're finished. Does not mean we're finished praying. Amen does not mean now you can open your eyes and you can get down from the table and you can start doing something else. That's not what the word means. The word means it is really so. It is really so. As the Catechism explains it, the word Amen means this, it shall truly and certainly be. And that's a word that expresses our confidence when we pray to God. Our confidence. When the child of God, at the end of his prayer, whether you are an adult or a child, says, Amen, then that's an expression of faith, the confidence of faith. It's an expression by which you are saying, I know God has heard me. I know that God was listening, that he was listening very carefully to me when I was praying to him, that he in the midst of all his sovereign power and mighty rule and giving attention to every creature in the whole universe had time to hear every word that I said. And not only to hear it, but to hear it with great interest. He was very interested in what I had to say in prayer. Confident that God was listening. And then confident, too, that God heard in the sense that he will answer my prayer. He will give me what I asked in faith. He will fulfill all of my need. 
You notice in Luke chapter 11, that's the point that our Lord Jesus Christ emphasizes. In teaching his disciples to pray, he first of all taught them, well, here are the words of the model prayer. Here is how you address God, and here are the petitions that you pray to God, and here is how you conclude your prayers to God. But then he switched to draw their attention to the confidence that they ought to have when they pray to God. And wraps that up by saying to them in verse 9, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And then in verse 13, How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. Confidence. And the question is, well, how can we be so confident? What is the basis of our confidence in prayer? How can we confidently conclude our prayers with the word, Amen? Well, not because of ourselves. Not because we pray so well. Not because our prayers are so good. Not because our prayers are so biblical and so sincere. That's not the basis of our confidence. And if ever that becomes the basis of our confidence, then we will have no confidence because we realize our prayers are very weak and tainted with sin, very imperfect. It's a wonder that God hears any of them. So what is the basis? Well, the basis of our confidence is Christ. And first of all this, we are confident because of what Christ has done for us. Because of Christ, God is our Father. Because of the work of Christ, we are the children of God. Because of the work of Christ, who gave his life to pay for our sins and to cover all of them, we are acceptable in the eyes of God. And therefore, because of Christ, our prayers are acceptable to God. Because of Christ, God is interested in every word that you pray to him in prayer, because on account of the work of Christ for you and in you, you are now, by the grace of God, a child of God. And God is your Father. And as Luke 11 points out, a Father that is far better than any earthly father could ever be. He is your Father who is interested in every word that you pray because you are one of his children. A dear child. A precious child. And it is his purpose to bless, 
and he will. And he will provide everything you need for body and for soul. Our confidence is in Christ. And secondly, we are confident through Christ because of the fact that we pray to God through Jesus Christ. It's really the significance of the fact that we often end our prayers with the words, for Christ's sake, or in the name of Christ, and so on. We pray to God through Christ. That's because Christ prays for us, as Romans 8 verse 34 points out, he intercedes for us. He prays for us when we do not pray very well. He prays for us when we fail to pray altogether. He prays for us when our prayers are insincere, mere words, but not coming from our hearts. He prays for us when we cannot pray. And sometimes that is true, that happens. Spiritually very, very difficult to pray. And he, <clears throat> and he prays for us when we pray for the wrong things. Christ intercedes, Christ prays for us, and you can be sure, beloved, that his prayers are perfect prayers to God. He always prays to God for the right things when we pray for the wrong things. He always brings sincere requests to God when our requests are insincere. He always prays perfectly when we don't pray very well to God. His prayers are always pleasing to God and he prays out of his understanding of what we are experiencing in this life because he is our merciful high priest who was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin and who understands and knows from experience what our earthly life is, what our earthly struggles are, and what our earthly needs are. He prays perfect prayers, and God hears, and God answers the prayers of his Son, who intercedes, who prays for us. So we are confident in him, and we pray in faith through Jesus Christ, confident that for Christ's sake, God will hear and answer our prayers. It is certainly a blessing to be able to pray. It's certainly a blessed privilege to be able to speak to the Almighty God as your God and your Father. It is certainly a blessing to be able any time to open up your heart 
to God. Prayer is a blessed and a wonderful gift. And so may God give us the grace we need to pray. To pray more because we realize how dependent we are on God. To pray more because we realize how much we have to be thankful for. And to pray for the things that we ought to pray as Christ taught us in the Lord's Prayer. And all of this to be able to do in confidence, the confidence of faith that God will hear us for the sake of Christ. May Christ continue to teach us to pray. Amen. Oh, Father in heaven, we are thankful for the gift of prayer, thankful for thy instruction to us concerning it, and thankful for the work of the Spirit in us to apply thy word as well as to teach us to pray in answer to our request that thou wilt do so. Hear us, Lord, enable us to pray more, to work at improving our prayer lives, to live thereby in close communion with thee, our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.